the racial wealth gap. I read a New York Times article that for every $100 that a white family has in wealth, a black family has only $5.04. So there's that massive racial wealth gap there. Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen. This episode is sponsored by Age Up. Did you know that one in three 65-year-olds live into their 90s, but few can afford it? Age Up provides supplemental income to help fill in the financial gaps that come with a long life. To find out more, visit age-up.com. Today, I am honored to have Akiva Thomas join us to, on the Breaking Money Silence podcast. I met Akiva a couple years ago and was very impressed with the work that she was doing. Uh, she is a financial planner and educator. Currently, she works as a wealth planning associate at Ballantine Partners, which is a wealth management firm based in greater Boston area that serves high net worth individuals and families. She is actively involved as a co-leader in the firm's diversity, equity, and inclusion task force. And what we're going to be focusing in on today is really her work as the founder of Bemused, a financial literacy brand catering to young adults. Welcome, Akiva, to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited because when I met you, I think it's two or three years ago now, I remember being really struck by how you were approaching financial literacy a little bit differently than what I'd seen in a lot of programs that are out there. And a lot of the programs that are out there are good, but they're not getting engagement. People aren't actually incorporating the tools and learning into their life. So before we get into specifically how Bemused works, tell me why you're so passionate about financial literacy. Yeah, so financial literacy really was something that fell into my lap in a way. It wasn't necessarily something I grew up thinking, I wanna do this as a career or, or for a living or something that I was super passionate about. Really it all started during my senior year of high school when I was getting ready for college, going through the application process, doing the FAFSA for the first time and realizing how much I just did not know about you know, paying for college, about money in general. People weren't having these kinds of conversations around me. I didn't really have role models that I could look up to in that regard. So that is really what got me along the path of thinking about money in a more serious way and also thinking about how I could pursue uh, money as a career, helping other people with their money. And that's kind of how I got into this entire field. Google became my best friend, went down the rabbit hole of careers where I can help people with money. And a few years later, here I am today. Awesome. So one of the things that I'm curious about though is sometimes people become overwhelmed don't have a roadmap for talking about money at an early age and do the complete opposite where they don't talk about it and they don't pursue a career in it. So why do you think you went that route of saying, you know what, I'm going to learn about this. And not only am I going to learn about this, I'm going to help other people learn about this as well. 
Absolutely. I just feel like no one, like I said, was really having these conversations around me. And that really bothered me. I wanted to be someone that people could come to as a resource. As I started learning more about money and looking at the financial situation of the people that were around me, my family and my friends, uh, you know, people who I went to church with and just in my community and looking to see how other people lived and looking at those disparities. And as I learned more about things like the racial wealth gap and things like that, it really just opened my mind to the fact that this is just so much of a bigger issue than just my personal situation. So that's really what propelled me even further into that direction to really learn as much as I can so I can be a resource for other people and really just share in a more transparent way so that others can benefit from my experience. Great. So it's almost the fire in the belly of, hey, I didn't get this and there's something wrong. So I'm going to make sure that I correct that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I identify definitely. with that in a, in a slightly different way, but certainly uh, empowering women to find their voice uh, financially and in other ways. So certainly um, can see how a fire in the belly can really help you do great things. So in terms of Bemuse, tell me a little bit about the platform and a little bit about uh, how it might be different than some of the other platforms out there. Absolutely. So the Bemused started originally in April of 2018, I believe, as just a YouTube channel. So one day I woke up and decided I'm going to start a YouTube channel. I'm going to use this as my platform, my way to really reach people on a larger scale and share the financial knowledge that I have. I didn't see a lot of people who looked like me talking about these things, especially on YouTube and still don't, you know, pretty much. So that was one avenue. That's really why I decided to go ahead and do it. And it was also a personal challenge to myself to kind of get myself out of my comfort zone. I'm a very introverted, more shy person. And so that was also a challenge for me to get out of my comfort zone and really share the knowledge that I have because I knew people needed it and I didn't want to be confined to just the people who were in my immediate circle. I wanted to be able to do more and really scale that information. So I started it. I also talked to my boyfriend, now my fiance, and we decided that we were going to do this thing together. So now we make videos on a regular basis about personal finance topics, really anything you can think about that relates to people more so in our age range. We have a lot of people who comment and say that, you know, even though I know this channel is for, you know, the younger folk, I really benefit a lot from it too. So that's always nice. Uh, but we really try to be transparent in everything that we do. We talk about our personal financial situation, offer uh, education and things like that on the channel. So we just really love it and enjoy what we do a lot. Now, for people who are listening just to the audio, tell us a little bit about what age group you're in and a little bit about your culture and upbringing. Yeah, so right now I'm 23 years old, so I'm definitely on the younger side of things. I uh, and my fiance is 25, so we're you know in our early mid 20s still. And our YouTube audience, primarily, if you look at our analytics, the people who we're really reaching are people between the ages of 18 and 34, about 75, 80% of our audience. And so that, those are the people who we really target and appeal to the most. In terms of our upbringing, my fiance had a similar upbringing in that we didn't really necessarily talk about money as much. We both come from lower middle class backgrounds in terms of socioeconomic status. So it was definitely a learning experience for both of us, even as, as much as we know now, there is always so much more to know. And the one benefit of having these conversations, you know, with people that we don't even know, because we're sharing this on a public platform, is that it's sparking further conversation within our families, within our communities, which has been a really good thing to see. 
Nice. And so when you are doing this work, do you notice any difference between the questions that come maybe, and then when I say young, 18 to 34, it's, you know, young adults, the yeah. questions that come from young adults, given whether it's a question from somebody who identifies as a man or someone who identifies as a woman, do you see any gender differences there? I actually don't, which is one of the surprising things. If we, if we look at our, our YouTube channel, it's a pretty even split in terms of male to female ratio, we get a lot of questions from both people. I think that also speaks to the demographic that you're seeing within the videos, because I do a lot of the videos, but also my fiance is in a lot of the videos with me. So you're seeing the male perspective, you're seeing the female perspective on a lot of issues. And I think that also draws a more mixed audience in terms of gender balance, which has been really, really great to see, because I really love to see, you know, more women getting involved in learning about money and personal finance as well. So it's been really good to see in that respect. Awesome. Yeah, no, I, I could see how that would work. I like the idea of both genders and, and, you know, I know that even though you tell me you're an introvert, which is hard for my brain to, to register because I've seen you <laughs> on YouTube and always run into you at a kind of a conference or a podcast setting. So how about racial differences? You know, there's a lot of uh, racial tension in our country right now. And I think it's important to pay attention to what the differences are when it comes to financial literacy, but when it comes to delivering information that's going to be accessible for all people. Can you speak to that? Yeah, of course. And this is really what drives a lot of the work that I do as well. When you learn about the racial wealth gap, I read a New York Times article that for every $100 that a white family has in wealth, a black family has only $5.04. So there's that massive racial wealth gap there. There's also an income gap. I believe black families make about 58% or so of the income that white families do. And there's also a financial literacy gap. I've also seen studies that shown that black and African-American communities have lower levels of financial literacy as opposed to you know, their white peers. So it's all related. When you think about racial issues, you don't have to look very far to tie it to how that affects your personal finances on a macro level and also on an individual level. So it's definitely something that fuels my work. It's something that we talk about openly on the, both in the, the, the channel and within the financial education course that I've created, something that I teach about because I think it is very important, an important part of learning about finances in general. I don't think a, a personal finance education is truly complete without learning about the systemic policies and things that have been put in place that do affect certain groups of people in this country. So definitely something that I'm passionate about, something I'm passionate about teaching about and something that definitely affects, you know, each one of us as people who live in the United States. Well, and I think that in itself is something that's so different. I've reviewed a ton of financial literacy programs over the years, and I can't remember one that addresses, you know, one recently that addresses the wealth gap and the racial wealth gap and to really talk about these systemic issues. You know, without giving the course away, uh, <laughs> is there one little statistic or tip or way in which someone who's listening can start to explore their relationship with money as it relates to race or ethnicity? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are so many different policies that at their face legislation that we all know of that seems harmless at its face when you really start to do the research as to you know which groups are marginalized as a result of these policies. So when you think about things like the Homestead Act, or when you learn about even the Social Security Act, or the history of Wall Street, you know, historically being a place where slaves were bought and sold and things like that. When you really look deeper at these common things that we just know about and hear about all the time, there's 
there's a wealth of information to be found as to the history of certain places and certain legislation that really affected and marginalized certain communities, especially communities of, of color. Well, and I, I, you know, one of the things that I'm thinking is, you know, even though I have financial literacy, I think that part of your course would be really useful for someone like myself who's been in this industry, but hasn't gotten the history of the education because of the school system in which I was brought up in, which was affluent and it was white. And so there were stories told and stories not told. And I know women's history has been largely until recently left out of the course uh, load. And certainly in the last couple of years, realizing how much that's the case for African-Americans and um, Indians and people of color. And so I, I, you know, I really feel strongly that that's important and I have a lot to learn. And it sounds like having that in your course is going to be really key for, for your demographic, but I think really for anybody. So at your, at your, your, I don't know if you call it your day job, but at your day job at Ballantyne, um, and you are doing a lot of different things uh, in, if you're a wealth planning associate, but in your role with the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Task Force, what are some of the things that you are looking at to make this situation better? Yeah, we're, we're doing a lot over there. So our DEI task force, as we call it, we, we are about a year and a half in. So this isn't something that just, you know, popped up in the last couple of months. It's something that uh, we've been doing for a little while now. It really is a powerful movement that is happening at our company. It started as a grassroots movement, a couple of people saying, realizing there's a problem, raising our hand and saying, hey, like we're, we're noticing that we don't necessarily have great ethnic and racial diversity within our firm, within the industry, you look at the statistics and, you know, they're just as abysmal. What can we do to change that? And that's, that was the catalyst for starting the DEI task force. And as we all came together and as more people joined right now, our task force makes up a third of our employee population, which I think is really awesome. We've definitely grown and, and taken root and really started to, to make some effective change. We've looked at a lot of different policies within our firm. We've gone through, or we're still in the process of going through our hiring process, our uh, retention practices, our recruitment practices, really taking a deep dive and a critical lens at every single aspect of those processes and seeing where we need to make changes or you know, what things we feel comfortable with already as part of the process. And also as part of the task force, we have opened up several opportunities for people to engage in education, specifically around racial equity, since that is one of the more prominent areas or, or gaps within the industry and within our firm. So we have on, we're planning an ongoing series to have what we're calling our courageous conversations. So conversations about racial equity, we have started our, uh, we have book club going, a movie club going, and just different mediums for people to access resources and come together and discuss. We're also getting ready to roll out very soon a platform where all of our employees can go and confidentially assess their unconscious biases and uh, complete little micro learnings that will help them to, you know, be more aware of these biases. You know, no one is immune to bias. Bias in and of itself isn't necessarily, you know, going to go away, but we can definitely be more cognizant of our biases and work actively towards combating them and uh, especially how they show up within the workplace. So we've started a lot of different endeavors right now. We're also working on building out a racial equity investment portfolio at our company, which has been a really exciting process. So we're doing a lot. <laughs> I'm sure I'm forgetting things just off the top of my head, but we're doing a lot there. A lot of great people doing a lot of great work there. And so 
we're busy. We're very busy over there at Valentine doing this work. And what I love about everything that you mentioned is it's a systematic change that you're trying to do at your particular firm. Yeah. It isn't a committee that does a little piece. It's really looking at the whole thing from the client experience to how we invest to what the employees are experiencing to training and to having the dialogue. Now with the courageous conversations, is that something that's internal with your firm or is that something external for your clients? So that is an internal conversation. And so um, some of these are plans to have professional facilitators come in you know, kind of help facilitate those discussions with our internal employees. It's definitely on our radar to have to expand those opportunities to include our client base as we have more of these conversations with our clients, especially now more frequently than ever, and kind of uh, seeing what our clients would like and appreciate in that regard. It's definitely on our radar, but nothing concrete as of yet. Makes sense. Well, keep me posted because I would love to share that information on social when it is external, although it sounds like you're doing a really a lot of great work internally. Now, you know, my sense of, of what you're doing, first of all, two things. It's, it's like, okay, so you have this bemused financial literacy site. You're getting married and yeah. you're working this job and I, the task force is probably not your full-time job. It's part of what you do, correct? Correct. So do you sleep? I try. I certainly try. <laughs> definitely a lot going on, um, you know, in, in my world these days, but definitely try to still take care of yourself in the midst of all of the stuff and the obligations and responsibilities that I have. Excellent. So the other population of people that I think might be listening in that don't get a lot of sleep sometimes are parents. Uh, and so maybe they're parents of older kids and the kids are now sleeping through the night. But I, I'm wondering in terms of financial literacy or just getting people interested in talking about money, what advice would you have for a parent that is listening in today on how to engage their adult child in a meaningful conversation but to do it in a way that isn't going to be so heavy. I mean, I guess that's the part that I don't think it always has to be so heavy. Yeah, it doesn't always have to be heavy at all. One major thing and kind of the, the theme that flows throughout the work that I do is transparency. Just talk to your kids. Be a little bit more open in terms of the lessons you've learned about money as you went throughout your life or as certain things come up in your life now. Include your children in those conversations. A lot of parents I know aren't necessarily comfortable divulging those personal details about their life or about their finances. But what I've learned and what I try to model and what, you know, hopefully my parents have started to do is to try to open up a little bit in that regard. Let us know what's going on. And also because we also need to be prepared. I remember a couple of years ago, I literally sat my parents down at Christmas when I went home and I'm like, hey, we don't know what, what to do if something happened to both of you. Even it's just having some, a conversation that starts at that cursory level. Like, I don't want to leave my children hanging in, in the wind and not know exactly what to do if something were to ever happen to me. So we sat down and said, okay, well, who, you know, who owns the house? Who has the mortgage? Like, who has the life insurance? Like, what's going on? And get a good sense of, of those kinds of things. And that was kind of a first conversation for my siblings and I with our parents. So I'm not sure if every parent wants to necessarily start there. It may seem a little bit morbid, but 
but you know find little opportunities to open up and to to share at least the, th the little things that you've learned or as your child goes through certain life stages be able to say well you know in my experience like this is what I experienced this is what I learned that will hopefully help you as you are going through these different life stages whether it's your you're buying a home now or you're moving out or you're going to college or you're trying to go to grad school wherever you can at least share and be a little bit more open it will definitely go a long way in helping children. I think those teachable moments are so important and I look for them. I am not a parent other than a parent of a cat, which we don't talk about money much. She's kind of a freeloader. But I've talked about money a lot with my nieces and nephews who now are in your demographic. And I think just looking for those moments and opportunities to have those conversations is really important. And, you know, talking about parents and their health issues as they age, well, on the surface, it appears potentially morbid. I've had that experience years ago with my mom and my dad, and it actually was a really wonderful, touching series of conversations because yeah it's about aging but it's also about values and it's about you know what's important to them and and i found and i don't know if you found this but i found out things i didn't know about my father or my mother based on these conversations so a lot can come from it that isn't just about you know we need to know where your will is and where to yeah. bury you yeah absolutely so Absolutely. And those values, even if you don't necessarily have much to offer by way of experience, um, you know, a lot of people, including my parents who, you know, migrated to this country who don't, who don't necessarily have the same life experiences that you have or are going through the same things you have. They don't necessarily have the head knowledge to share, the life experience to share. Uh, those values definitely go a long way in terms of passing those money values down. So well, they must be uh, very proud of you because you're doing a lot of cool work in this world and making a big difference. And so is your fiance, who maybe at some point we should have on the Breaking Money Silence podcast as well. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me, where can listeners find out more about all the good stuff you're doing? And I know you mentioned a class. So if you want to fill them in on how they can take your class, that would be great too. Absolutely. So our home base is on YouTube. So if you go to youtube.com slash the bemused or just type in the bemused in the search bar, you will find us. That's where you'll see all of our free video content. Like I said, we post there regularly about once a week or so on new videos on uh, everything personal finance for young adults just like ourselves. And for if you want to go to the next level with us, I do have a paid program which is called the Adulting Bootcamp, which like we mentioned a little bit earlier, it covers all the fundamental personal finance concepts in a more deeper, more organized manner. So you can really go through things step by step and learn all of the fundamentals of personal finance. So I will have uh, Kathleen share the link of where you can sign up for the waitlist for the next round of that course. And if you also want to connect with us on Instagram, we are on Instagram at The Bemuse as well. Awesome. Well, it's wonderful to break money silence with you today, and it's always a joy to catch up. Thank you so much. This episode is sponsored by Age Up. Did you know that one in three 65-year-olds live into their 90s, but few can afford it? Age Up provides supplemental income to help fill in the financial gaps that come with a long life. To find out more, visit age-up.com. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app 
and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information, or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com. Thank you.